from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Take your Bibles. Back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, adding one verse. This, this morning we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 19. So go ahead and turn there. Now as you turn there, I'm going to ask you to think about a question. It's kind of an, an, an unorthodox question, and it may shock you because I know how godly you are. I, I, I know how holy you are. And so when I ask you, when you read the New Testament and you read about Jesus' ministry, and I ask you the question, what about Jesus' ministry makes you mad? All of you are going to recall in horror and go, nothing that Jesus did made me mad. Nothing. I'm happy with everything that he did. Nothing frustrates me. I understand it perfectly, Gary. It's your problem, not mine. Okay, fine. It's, it's, it's my problem. Right? But when we read through the Scripture, when we read through the New Testament, we see Jesus acting in, in ways that we would call unorthodox. He does some things that, that, that rankles the ruling authorities. John chapter 5, it's not really much of a stretch to say that Jesus kind of provoked them, <laughs> prodded them in, in what he did. Now the question that we're going to look at in just a minute is, is, is what did he do? Because what he did, I don't think any of us would have a hard time with. But at the same time, in thinking through that, it also gives us an opportunity to update it and maybe think, all right, what, what would make us mad today about somebody who claimed to be a Christian and, and came in and, and was worshiping and did something a little bit different, right? Surely we wouldn't pull out the, well, we've never done it like that before argument, Right? I mean, that, that would never cross our minds. We would never look at him and go, well, you know, we don't, we just, you know, no, we don't do that here. Right? Would, would we ever look and go, well, your religious credentials isn't quite up to, to where we would like them to be. Right? I mean, we, we would never, never, never. I mean, I know y'all wouldn't. You know, me, I'd be the first one. Look, hey, <laughs> I don't know. We've done it like this 161 years. If it was good enough for them, it's good enough for you too. Get in line. Right? Now, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're, you're kind of laughing, going, Gary, what, 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 is, what are you talking about? Well, when we come to John chapter 5, last week we read about the miracle as the sign pointing to, to Jesus and his authority over the health and, and his authority over healing and, and the sign pointing to he is the one who has come so that through him we may believe and in his name we may have life. What we didn't look at was the conflict that the healing prompted. And part of the conflict was because, although it's not recorded in Scripture this way, hey, we don't do it like that around here. That's what made the people mad. So let's read John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through verse 19. And as we read this, I want you to listen for the answer. Right? 
Right? That first question, what about Jesus' ministry made you mad? I want you to listen for the answer because the answer to what made the ruling authorities mad at Jesus is recorded three times in these verses. See if you can pick it out. All right? So after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So this morning, first of all, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice how Jesus confronts erroneous Sabbath teachings. All right. Last week, we noted, and I said to you, that from this chapter forward, the opposition to Jesus grows. And in the Gospel of John, this is the first open hostility against Jesus. And it centers around the Sabbath. All right, It centers around the Sabbath. So let's remind ourselves really quickly, what is the Sabbath? Now you're going to go in uh, Exodus chapter 20. Verse 8 through 11, you're going to go back to the Ten Commandments where God is speaking and He says to the people, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. For you shall not, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's the commandment. There, there's the explicit commandment. You shall remember the Sabbath. You shall keep it holy. The foundation, though, for the Sabbath is not Exodus 20, but is in Genesis chapter 1 through 2. Where Jesus creates, and he, or excuse me, where God creates, and, and we know from John that Jesus was the instrument of creation, so that's that is true. But in Genesis chapter two, verse two through three, as Moses is recording, he writes this: 
On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, so there it is. Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Why? Because God worked for six days. On the seventh day, he rested from his creation work, blessed the seventh day, made it holy. Now Moses is saying to the Israelites, hey, by the way, God has set apart the Sabbath for you to remember and keep it holy. John chapter 5. We know something is going to happen. Something is going on because right after the miracle, right after the man gets up and walks, John says to us, and it looks just like a throwaway piece of information just to, to round out the story, now the day was the Sabbath. Okay. So, so what? So, so what? Why is this so important? Why is this one? Why, why did John record that? I mean, the man's been healed. 38 years, he, he can't move, he can't get up, he can't walk. And then all of a sudden, one day he gets up, he walks, he carries his mat. And, and you're thinking, all right, this is awesome. How incredible is this, John? Why does it matter that, that it's the, the Sabbath? Because as the man was walking with his rolled up mat, and, and, and think just the straw mat that's rolled up, he's got it on his shoulder, maybe he's got it on his arm, he, he's walking out of the pool of Bethsaida, and as he is walking out on the Sabbath, he runs into, John tells us, that he runs into the Jews. Now, let me do a quick reminder, and I'm going to probably bring this up several times through the Gospel of John. And John is not being anti-Semitic, right? This is not a basis for anti-Semitism, all right? John uses the term the Jews collectively to indicate those in opposition to Jesus. Right? Now, this is this isn't a deep theological truth right here. Those who are in opposition to Jesus by birth and by religion were Jews. <laughs> so to call them Jews is just a factual statement. <laughs> right? That, that's all he's saying. Here he comes. The ruling authority, the religious authorities, he's walking with the mat. The, the Jews see him. And what, what would your reaction be? Right? I mean, you've known this guy for 38 years. You, you've seen him there. What would your reaction be when a guy who could not walk for 38 years, you see walking? What would you do? Well, we know what they did. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Okay, 38 years the guy hasn't walked. 38 years. He is unclean. He is, dirty. he is laid on this ground next to this pool for 38 years. A guy walks in that he's never seen, says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And for the first time in 38 years, everything from his brain to his feet works. The, the, the nerves are working. The guy gets up. He walks. He takes the mat because he's not coming back. He runs into the religious authorities, and all they can see is the mat. They can't see that the guy walked. They can't see the miracle. They can't see the sign that is 
Right? We all say, if only God would give me a big flashing neon sign. Here comes the guy walking. What, what more do you want? They can't see that. All they can see is that on the Sabbath day, he is carrying a mat. It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. Okay, well, let's go back to the Old Testament and let's find the Sabbath regulation that says you can't take up your mat and you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. I will give you time this morning, if you would like, to go back to the Old Testament and find that. But I'm going to save you a bit of time. You won't find it. It's not there. It doesn't exist. Nowhere in the provisions for the Sabbath is it recorded that you can't take up your mat and walk. So what in the world are they talking about? Well, what we see is the legalism that they have taken and then on top of what God has said, added all kinds of extra requirements on it. They built fences around the Sabbath to keep you from getting too close, right? You go somewhere. Uh, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I imagine that somewhere near the edge of the Grand Canyon, there's a fence. Why? Keep you from getting too close to the edge. Why? What's good? There's not? Okay, I don't know. Like I said, I've never been. That was I, I prefaced it with, I've never been. Yeah. Yeah. Right? To keep you safe. And so they've erected these fences up around the Sabbath to get you from getting too close. But the problem is, and, he, and, and here's the problem. If I put a fence here to keep me from getting too close, wouldn't it be better if there was a fence here? And if there's a fence here, wouldn't it be better for there to be a fence here? Maybe there should be a fence here. Or if, How close? How close can you get? So they erected up all these fences, all these man-made rules and oral traditions that are recorded of what you couldn't do. Let me give you an example, just a few. On the Sabbath, you couldn't reap. Okay, well, let's say we couldn't go out and farm. Okay, you know what that means also, though? It means you can't climb a tree. Because if you climb a tree and break a branch... That's, that's kind of like reaping. You can't, you, you can't do that. You can't add fresh water to flowers. Why? Because then you're sowing, and you can't sow on the Sabbath, so, you, so you, you can't do that. You can't rub soap together to make a lather. That's a lot like work. right? And, and Orthodox Jewish communities have updated it now because we don't live 2,000 years ago. We, we live today. Well, you can't sharpen a pencil. I got nothing. You can't turn on a light switch because part of the Sabbath regulation is you can't kindle a fire. Well, when you flip a light switch, you got a little spark of electricity. This is why when the Sabbath starts, if there's not a light on in your house, you can't turn the light on. And if you turn it on, it has to stay on. But what do you do when you come up with a rule that you try to abide by, but the rule becomes cumbersome. Like, you can't push a button in an elevator. Well, I know what you do. You invent the Sabbath elevator. I'm not making this up. 
It is an elevator that starts to run. There's a couple different versions of it, but basically think of it this way. It's an elevator that starts to run on its own when the Sabbath begins, and it'll start at the bottom and go all the way up to the top and then stop at each floor on the way down. So if you live on the seventh floor in a 15-floor building, you get on at the bottom, you ride all the way up to the 15th, and then you stop at the 15th, the 14th, the 13th, 12th, 11th, 10th, 9th, 8th, until you can finally get off. Mirrors. Women, y'all can't look in a mirror. You might be tempted to put on makeup. That's work. See a gray hair, can't pluck it out. That's reaping. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, now, now we laugh. We laugh. Believers, Christians, we would never, we would never, I mean, we would never do that. Right? Right? We wouldn't come up with something called the New Haven Code of Laws in 1640. Or 101 years later in 1741 in North Carolina passed, quote, an act for the better observing the Lord's Day called Sunday, and also for suppressing of profanities, immorality, and other vicious and enormous sins. I guess if they're small, you're good. I don't know what an enormous sin is. Right? We would, we would never do that. And since last week we picked on Asheville, we'll pick on, on Asheville again. We would never take that law in 1741 and make it to the point where it was illegal to order ice cream on Sunday without first eating lunch. And including in that, that your lunch couldn't be cake. I mean, surely, we would never come up with something so absurd. Surely, surely authorities wouldn't be called on the candy kitchen in 1899 for violating this act because he advertised a lunch combo special that has a ham sandwich and ice cream. You must eat the former before you get the latter. Surely, surely, surely. Well, I mean, let's just embrace it. We're Baptists and we're legalists, but doggone it, we're good legalists. Right? Y'all would never, never look at the people who went to eat after church on Sunday. Can't believe they went to a restaurant to eat. Surely not. Right? Surely we wouldn't come up with some man-made rules, extra-biblical rules to demonstrate uh, religious fealty, would we? We would never, never do that. See how easy it is. You see how simple it is to say, well, this is what God said, so we're going to add to it. And Jesus, come, uh, Jesus comes in and just tears down their Sabbath teachings. I mean, just, just destroys them. Now, a whole different sermon that we're not even getting into today is Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Okay, that's just a whole different topic of conversation. Not going there today. Well, let me ask you a question. What would Jesus tear down of ours? That we said, well, we got to do this. Kind of talked about this in Sunday school, didn't we? Right? Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath. That's what makes them mad. He broke their rules. 
But in healing the man on the Sabbath, Jesus, number two, demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus goes back and he, he finds the man. Remember, that's, that, the, the man has no idea. Jesus finds the man. And where's the man? This is, this is actually kind of important. Where's the man? He finds him in the temple. Again, 38 years, hasn't walked. Where has he also not been in 38 years? The temple. Why? He's not clean. He can't go. Why is he in the temple now? Because he is clean. But for that to be official, he needs to go present himself to the priest so the priest can declare him to be clean. So let's at least give the man credit for that. He's going to the temple to be declared clean. It looks like so Jesus comes up and, and, and finds the man and he says, look, you're, you're, you're well, sin no more. And immediately, this is where we don't give him a lot of credit. Immediately he goes away and he finds the Jews and says, hey, by the way, I know now the answer to your question. Who healed you? I don't know. I know now it's this guy named Jesus. Here, go, go get him. Leave me alone. I'm just happy I can walk again. So Jesus continues, and it says that the man went away, told the Jews, and the Jews began to prosecute him in verse 15 because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, between verse 16 and 17, it says, but Jesus answered them. So in between verse 16 and 17, there's a conversation that John doesn't record. But Jesus looks at them and says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Man, that just blows their little minds. They, they don't know what to do with this because Jesus just said that their man-made rules weren't worth anything. But now he says, my father is working up until now, and, and, and even I am working? I mean, there's so much in that, in that verse. A good observant Jew would never call him my father. I mean, they might use our father, but never, never my. So how can Jesus then say my father? That's, I mean, what kind of unique relationship does Jesus have with, with God the Father that he can say, not our, but, but my father? I mean, that's amazing. Because you know what else it means? And you may not think about that in that context. But when he says, my father, if you were a son during this time and you were the firstborn son, you know what you could do? You could speak with the authority of the Father. Right? So you could go out and, and say something, and it was just the Father. It was like you were talking, but the Father was speaking. So Jesus is saying, hey, I've got the same authority as the Father has. And then he says, God is working. Notice the present tense. God is working. He is working until now. He is working. Again, how does Jesus know that God is working? What, again, what kind of knowledge does Jesus have that the others do not? Again, we, we go back to John 1, and, and we know the truth that he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, and he is there at creation with God the Father. And so Jesus has this intimate working knowledge and understanding of what God the Father is doing. And he says, I know my Father is working until now. He's, he's working. Now, when Jesus 
again, makes that statement, their first inclination is still to go to that part about God working on the Sabbath. The Father is working? Again, back to Genesis 2. We read that passage. And it's very clear when it says that God rested on the Sabbath. He rested from what? He rested from His creation. Quote, He rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Nothing is created on the seventh day. Right? Creation is one through six. On the seventh day, nothing is created. So we go back to John 5, and this is where the, the, the religious leaders have tied themselves in knots. Jesus says, my Father is working until now. Wait a minute, does that mean that God can work on the Sabbath? Because if He does, then, then what is God doing? He's breaking the Sabbath. Right? But if He doesn't work on the Sabbath, what happens? Well, the universe stops spinning. <laughs> it would be cataclysmic. So after a lot of discussion, the rabbis came up with the decision that God actually does work on the Sabbath, right? The earth is still around. And since He is God, we can't charge God with violating the Sabbath. I mean, talk about, to use a good Yiddish word, chutzpah, right? <laughs> hey, God, you're not violating your Sabbath. Well, thank you. I appreciate that it's taken you all years and a lot of conversation to come up with that. You know, because had y'all just went to Psalm 24 and read that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof in the world and those that, who dwell therein. Or had you gone to Isaiah 6, 3, and I know all of you know the beginning of that, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, but looked at the next part that says the whole earth is full of His glory, then you would understand that I'm working every day because all of the earth belongs to me and if i did not work there would be no earth for you to walk around on jesus looks at him and says my father is working until now okay okay but then and i am working what did jesus just do what claim in that statement did Jesus just make? Because you will hear a lot of times people go, well, you know, you know, I've read the New Testament and Jesus never claims to be God. Okay, inasmuch as the red letters, there's not a red letter of Jesus saying, attention, attention, good people of the temple, I am God. I will grant you that, I will give that to you all day. However, you cannot read the New Testament. You cannot read something like John 5, verse 16, or excuse me, verse 17, where Jesus says, and God's working, and I am working, and not go, wait a minute. He just claimed to be God. I mean, the Jews got it. Not only is he working on the Sabbath, now he says that he is God. He is claiming equality with the Father. And so they're seeking all the more to kill him now. He broke the Sabbath. He can't break the Sabbath. 
We were a little unsure. We finally came up with God not working. It's okay. God's not a Sabbath breaker. But now he broke the Sabbath. He says he's God. He's, he's doubly wrong. We got to get rid of this guy. He's tearing down our man-made fences. We can't stand for that. Oh, and by the way, he also thinks he is God. But here Jesus is saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that he is engaged in the same activity as the Father. That he is working on the Sabbath just like the Father works on the Sabbath. Right? Follow the logic. If God can work on the Sabbath, and if Jesus is God, then Jesus can work on the Sabbath too. And the inescapable conclusion from this is Jesus is not the servant of the Sabbath, but He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, He can work on it. And the healing that you just witnessed, the healing that you just witnessed, He's telling them, is God working on the Sabbath. The healing that you just saw, the man being healed, was God not resting. It is God not resting from taking care of His creation. Rather, it is God actively being involved with His creation. It is God filling the earth with His glory. It is the fulfillment of Psalm 24 and Isaiah 6. It is God being God. And He has never ceased to stop working. And I will not stop either. So Jesus is telling them, hey, you know what? I can work on the Sabbath. I can do that. And you sit there and you, you think this morning, well, Gary, what? We, we don't have a Sabbath. How does this impact us today? Well, this part is really cool. Because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. This, this part, I, I, this is exciting. You go back to Matthew 23, and you read verses 2 through 4. Jesus says this about the Pharisees. And, and in listening to this quote, listen, you can just hear the fences placed around the Sabbath. The scribes and the Pharisees Sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. We talked about that in Sunday school too. Jesus says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger, right? So Jesus is saying, look, all these people, they're putting these heavy burdens on you that you can't possibly endure, but they don't want to deal with them because it's too hard, right? Sabbath elevator. You can't push the button in the elevator. We'll invent a Sabbath elevator to get around it. Jesus is saying, look, they, they've put all this stuff on you. Now ask yourself the question. You're honestly trying to seek God. You're trying to understand God. You're trying to, to be an obedient Jew to God and His rule. And you have all these teachers over here saying, yeah, God said this, but you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, 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 and this. What are you going to do? Because there's no way you can do all of this over here. And an effort for the religious leaders to protect the Sabbath, they made it so burdensome that it was impossible to actually keep the Sabbath. 
Think about it. It took you more work not to keep it. I mean, think of all the stuff you had to do. you got to work doubly hard Friday before the Sabbath starts so that you can maybe keep the Sabbath. Would it not be far-fetched to think that a lot of people would go, I just, I can't do it. I couldn't. You couldn't. They, even the rulers couldn't do it. Stay with me for a couple of verses. Mark 2, 27, Jesus and his disciples pluck some heads of grain off. And, and they do that, once again, on the Sabbath. Religious authorities come out to him and say, you can't do this as the Sabbath you're reaping. Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, right, that, that first part. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What would that mean? Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. Lord is speaking. Isaiah is, is recording. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of Yahweh honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talking idly, then you shall take delight in Yahweh. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. That's a beautiful passage. That, I mean, that's a beautiful passage. Because what it says right there is what Jesus says in Mark 2, 28. The Sabbath is for man. Why did God give them the Sabbath? so that on the Sabbath day, they could delight in the Lord. It wasn't what you couldn't do. It was what you were supposed to do. And what you were supposed to do on this day is to delight in the Lord. Recognize Him. Recognize that the God who has provided for you and kept you for six days on the seventh day, is go do the absolute same thing. You don't need to worry. Just delight in the Lord. Delight in me. And I promise you that on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, when you rest and you delight in me, I will take care of you. But how in the world were the people in John 5 supposed to delight in the Lord on the Sabbath when all these extra rules and all these extra burdens have been tied to them? There is no delight in the Lord when you are so legalistic and trying to keep so many of the rules that you have imposed or man-made leaders have imposed on you. There is no delight in the Lord in legalism. And they have put all these burdens on them. What are they supposed to do? One more passage this morning to answer that question. 
and we're done. Matthew 11, verse 25 through 28. Jesus is talking. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me, to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and in me find the rest that God instituted in the Sabbath that God gave you so that you could delight in God. Come to me because I and the Father am one. Come to me and when you do, he says, I will give you rest. Not from your body, not from your physical labors, but I will give you rest for your soul. How, how do we delight in the Lord? How do we organize or think about our Sundays? The Lord's Day? Right there. We rest in the Lord. And we can rest in Christ because He is our Sabbath rest. He is the one who has provided freedom from living under the works of the law. He is the one that provided rest from all the extra burdens that the religious leaders had tied up on. He is the one who said, no, that's not what God has called you to do. But He says, look at me. I have fulfilled every part of the law for you, including Exodus 20, verse 8, including the fourth commandment, I have fulfilled the Sabbath, so in me you may rest. And when we accept His free gift of salvation, we enter into that rest. And we become a joyful participant in that salvation that Jesus had secured for us. And we rest in it now on this earth because one day, and you can go to Hebrews 4 and read this, we will rest in Him for all eternity. And in that, we delight. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website, at www.redbankmbc.com If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.